Welcome to the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central, head to afl.draftcentral.com.au for a full recap of Round 12 action in the NAB League Boys competition. I'm Matthew Cox. Great to have your company as we review all the action from the weekend with the Chief Editor of Draft Central, Pete Williams. How are you, Pete? Yeah, really good to be here and chatting all things NAB League Boys after a pretty wet and uh, windy weekend, it has to be said. It was absolutely miserable and you headed out to Shepley Oval to bravely uh, fight the conditions out there to see the double header on the weekend. And first up, we had the Dandenong Stingrays and the GWV Rebels, which threw up an interesting result. Yeah, it did. It was it was a weird sort of a game. Uh, the GWV Rebels, of course, in the end got the win, but Dandenong were in control early on, and, and that was what was really surprising. It's sort of, uh, even though it was fairly even in, in the first term, they... Um, booted two goals to one, and you thought, oh, yep, they're looking pretty good. And they were missing a few shots that were fairly easy for for the Stingrays. And, and then the Rebels just turned it on in that second quarter. They just completely went from sort of one goal. They booted five and went all the way up. And, and from then on, like, uh, you, you just sort of thought that maybe a, a bit of an upset was on the cards, which ended up being the case. But it was mostly a case of some of the goals were just ridiculous from the Rebels. They were sort of snapping off a step and right from the boundary and things that were probably sometimes one in a hundred chance were sort of going straight through. So the luck was certainly on their side, but they made their own luck by playing wet weather footy. And I think Danny Nong, from what I could see, was sort of playing more um, dry, classy, lots of handballs. And GWV just adapted to the conditions a lot better. It it sort of just took Danny Nong until the last quarter to sort of really adapt. Um, And like the third quarter, they were a bit better, which is when the rain really started coming down. But um, by then it was a bit too late because five goals in a quarter when it's pouring rain is a is a massive advantage and in the end they got the job done the rebels and it was a it was really a great win but um, it won't be one they reach for the tapes anytime soon I'll, I'll tell you that it wasn't a wasn't exactly terrific um, but again like uh, rebels were actually better by foot uh, by the time the uh, siren sounded. They were sort of in the mid fifties, where Danny Nong were in the uh, mid forties. So it wasn't it wasn't a great display of skill by any means. But you got to see the likes of Mitch Martin uh, and Toby Marnie strut their stuff for the Rebels coming back from Vic Country, and they were really impressive. And Danny Nong got to show off a few bottom ages because it is worth saying that they were. Um, massively under strength they were missing obviously Ned Cahill Cody Waitman and the like uh, uh, you know um, those kind of guys that were playing for Vic Country so uh, it's worth sort of saying they were under strength and we should also mention it was the last round of futures round where Mm. you were required to have 11 players in their 16th or 17th year um, Mm. or turning 16 or 17 I should say so there that was also probably a reason as to why the link uh, the list strength from the Dandenong Stingrays was a little down yeah. uh, on their previous performances. They've now lost three games in a row, though, and after being on, well, up the pointy end of the ladder for a majority of the season to date, they've now dropped down to sixth with a percentage of 113, so still quite healthy, um, but they have lost the last three in a row. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's sort of like about where we thought they'd be at the start of the season, roughly where they are now. Um, but I think they just had a super start to the season, but obviously without that top end class and talent, they sort of drop back a bit, which sort of shows, um, it's probably putting them on a level playing field with your Oakleys or your Sandys, um, kind of thing, because you're missing your top end talent and you do drop back where, uh, perhaps in, in past years, they've 
had more of a, a an older depth around the club where the, the players that even those who are missing out on Vic Country are still sort of more developed where because of their list is heavily bottom age anyway, uh, it means that the few top ages they did have um, are playing Vic Country. So they're having to sort of bring up, say, debutants and players that might not have got a game otherwise, which is great to see that they're able to blood them through, but it does mean that they've got a really inexperienced team out there. And uh, while the Rebels aren't exactly an old team either, they've got a uh, quite a few bottom ages, um, a lot of those players play week in, week out. So um, they didn't have too much changes to that list. They were only missing a, a few like um, Rantel, Wareham and Herbert. Um, otherwise, they're pretty much full strength. They were missing, obviously, their overages who have moved on to VFL or other, other leagues. But, um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, it, it was pretty consistent from the Rebels. And it was a bit of a surprise because you felt Dandy were playing better early. But in the end, it's only uh, what happens in those big moments and Rebels came to play. A 28-point victory, we should mention. 8-5-53, the GWV Rebels defeating the Dandenong Stingrays. 3-7-25. The other game at Shepley Oval was also a fairly... Close one, which is a little surprising given the Geelong Falcons season to date. They went down uh, 8-5-53 to 7-7-49. The Gippsland Power victorious by four points. And similar to the Dandenong Stingrays, the Gippsland Power were also missing quite a lot of their top-end talent. We should again put the disclaimer mm. there. It was futures rounds as well. Yeah, for sure. And um, look, Gippsland just kept battling. Um, and I, I don't think there's any nice way to put it for Geelong, they played three quarters, and that was it. They they, they just stopped, and which has un- been a tale of their has. season. And the sad thing is, at three quarter time, they were twenty seven points up Geelong, and you thought normally you'd say they've got the game, but even I knew that the past few rounds, teams have just come from behind and, and got over them. And you're sort of sitting there going, the Rebels have kicked two goals to three quarter time. They need another five, but you're thinking surely not. It's pouring rain, terrible conditions, absolutely shocking conditions. There's no way they can kick five goals or, or six, basically, to to make up the difference and, and get in front. Um, you just have to stop. And basically, unfortunately for Geelong, that's pretty much what happened. They, they kicked three goals in about four minutes, and all of a sudden it was down, like within the first couple of minutes, it was back to nine points. And you're like, what? what's just happened? Um, and, you know, all of a sudden it was three, and then they hit the front. Um, and you just sort of thought, how did that even happen? Like 15 minutes in, suddenly Gippsland are in the front, and you're like, geez, what's what's just happened? And Geelong kicked a goal to get back in, um, and then Zach Reid, who normally plays at fullback, took a great contested mark with, you know, the basically the last kick, of the last minute of the game, and, and put it through, and that helped them get the win in the end, Gippsland. But they just, it was a terrific comeback, but... I know um, reading the Geelong advertiser that um, the the Falcons were pretty pretty annoyed. Nick Daffy, the coach, he's sort of sick of having the close losses, so he knows they 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 choked. There's no way to put it that they, they choked. Um, they were in complete control, and uh, in that last quarter, they had I believe 43 touches, and I sort of read that Charlie Lazaro had eight touches, um, and the next highest was four. There was one player with four, and the rest had three or less. So the, they just didn't get contributors in that last quarter. And and to be fair, it was probably up there with the worst skilled game you've probably seen all season because of the conditions, because it was pouring rain in the second half of the Rebels game. It was just the whole game. This was just terrible. And 
um, yeah, in, in the end, it was remarkable because um, I think it was Geelong ran at 42% kicking efficiency and they were the, the more efficient team. The <laughs> Gippsland had 41. So it was it was a game that, yeah, you, again, they won't reach for the highlights. But for Gippsland, they don't care that they got the job done and mostly due to the high tackle count too. It was remarkable, 120 and 99 tackles, which summed up the game really and Sam Berry was terrific with 20 touches and 18 tackles and three goals which he all got from tackles so um, look it was ugly it was very wet and wild and yeah it was terrible as a supporter but um, in terms of the interest in the game it went from you know to be fair most people probably asleep in the first three quarters and then all of a sudden it woke up and you're like oh hello a contest and um, I think that's how probably most people thought. Geelong would have liked to have kept it pretty quiet and sleepy because that's how it was um, a bit of a scrap early on. And then all of a sudden it went from zero to 100 real quick and everyone's getting excited because it was suddenly a thriller. So um, great work by Gippsland. But again, another so close, but not quite Geelong. And you hope that maybe next year, those bottom ages that are through will learn from this experience and start closing out those games. So they're missing a bit of talent, the Geelong Falcons, mm. which we can understand, and their season to date has been pretty poor. But f- how they're tracking now, it, it obviously is a mental issue. Yeah. It's between the years mm. when it comes to holding an advantage at three-quarter time and not being able to shut out yeah. the game. You look at a side like the Gippsland Power as the example, one of the top sides of the competition. Even with a young side in, they're still able to get the job. Done. So it's obviously something, it's, it's a mindset mm. thing. Given that they're still so young, the Geelong Falcons, and their list is either middle age or bottom ages, just having a quick look at mm. it, there's not too many top ages, especially from the weekend's game at the moment, and they've had injury issues. Mm. But how do you almost refresh and reset that mindset because otherwise, um, the, the, obviously the fear is mm. that this thing carries on, not just for the remainder of this year, but into next season. And it's something that they won't be able to overcome until they actually get the job done. Yeah, and that's the thing. You kind of needed to get the win. I think I felt like when Geelong kicked that late goal, you thought that, oh, maybe they will win in the end and they'll get across the line and go, thank goodness we got there. But then when Gippsland kicked that last goal, it was like, nope, they've lost it again. So um, is, there really... some, is there someone they can turn to that's got, like a raw leadership that could take the game by the scrub of the neck when they find themselves in that situation? Is there someone that they can just throw into the middle and be guaranteed or is showing glimpses of being able to do that in the future? Well, hopefully they will in, in two weeks or three weeks when uh, Cooper Stevens re- um, returns because he's perfectly that. He's a terrific leader. He, would, he wouldn't let that fly. I would imagine that he'd be the the first bloke that would put his hand up and go, right, I'm going to take this game and I'm going to win it. Even if he gets a clearance out of the middle and just bursts away, um, you know, just takes off and goes, I don't care if I get tackled or taken down. We've just got to get this forward and show that we're not going to not give a yelp because that was kind of the feeling you got. Like it was almost like they'd resigned to the fact that, oh, here they come, here they come. And they were just panicking. They weren't doing it in the first three quarters. They, they looked more assured, even though the, the foot skills were terrible from both sides, they looked more assured and it was just looking at it going, oh boy, I don't know what's happened. They just stopped clearance after clearance. Gippsland took control and and by the same measure, Gippsland looked like a team that in that last quarter, they didn't, they never thought they were going to lose. Like they felt like they were always in that game and I'd be surprised if at three-quarter time, the Ge- Geelong, you know, effective last quarters 
wasn't brought up in the Gippsland huddle. I'd, I'd say that they would have said, look, boys, we're 27 down, but these guys don't know how to close out a game. Just keep going, kick early goals, and you're going to be in their heads. And no doubt the runner would have come out after they kicked the first couple and gone, you're in your he- their heads, they're going to know. And they would have sort of said it to that voice of volume loud enough hmm. to make sure the Geelong, Geelong boys would have heard it too. And, and Geelong start doubting themselves, and it starts creeping in and... The, the players that were playing well early just weren't sighted in the last quarter, and that was that was it. And it showed from one player getting more than four touches. So uh, a disappointing result for Geelong. Um, they're getting close. They're not getting blown away, which is one positive to take out. But by the looks of it, from what uh, Nick Daffy sort of said in the Addy, as I mentioned, it, they're not going to treat it as a, oh, well, so close, fortunate loss. They're going to strip a fair bit of bear and, and basically have an honesty session because I think they're... They're sick of it because they are a successful club, Geelong. Mm. So they, they hate losing. Mick Turner hates losing. So I dare say that they are going to really come out with some fire next week because I think this was the one that, you know, they've had enough because it's one thing to be just up and lose in a close game, but when you completely, literally control the game and practically dominate for three quarters and then lose, yeah, it's it's probably something that they've gone, right, that's enough. We're going to really go in. So... Next week, I dare say, we'll see a much better effort and potentially a four-quarter effort if they can get it done. Especially when it's a reoccurring theme. Mm. As we said, the final score in that game, the Gippsland Power, 8-5-53, defeating the Geelong Falcons, 7-7-49. Other results from the round included the Chargers winning by 18 points over the Dragons. The Pioneers went down to the Murray Bush Rangers by 10 points and the Calder Cannons got up over the Western Jets by 22. A quirk in the draw means the Tassie and Eastern Rangers game uh, is was not played on the weekend because that is scheduled for Saturday the 13th of July at 10.45 down at Utah Stadium. So a game in a couple of weeks' time to be played out. That's round 12 in the NAB League, boys. Coming up, we've got a very uh, happy Pete Williams sitting here in the studio. He's going to go through his power rankings and we're going to interrogate him about why there's players moving up and down. But at least stay tuned here on the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central. Head to afl.draftcentral.com.au for all the NAB League Boys coverage, including scouting notes and game reviews. This is the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central. Head to afl.draftcentral.com.au for the power rankings. The July edition came out this week. Nothing changed too much at the top, as you'd expect. Matty Rowell, Noah Anderson, Hayden Young, Lockie Ash uh, continue their impressive form this season and the standout prospects heading into the 2019 draft. A change, though, uh, between Sam Flanders and Tom Green. They're exchanging around fifth and sixth spots. Why, Pete? Well, I I thought overall Sam Flanders had the more consistent carnival. Green's uh, best was terrific. I thought he had the one absolutely outstanding game down at GMHBA Stadium where he completely dominated. Um, The other three, he was solid without being good, although we don't count the, the games that occurred... Uh, on Wednesday because of obviously this came out on the Monday. So the previous two before that, he was solid without being outstanding where Flanders has been uh, amongst the best for country across the board. And also I think just the upside a little bit too, 
uh, he, he was a, a natural choice for that, although he could have gone either way uh, and kept as is. But I just think that potentially the match-winning ability might have him up the extra one, uh, one spot. Mitch O'Neill from the Tassie Devils has climbed up to 8th after being 13th in June. We anticipated this to happen because Mitch was suffering a few injuries throughout the season, just couldn't find mm. solid form and consistency, but he seems to have found that in the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah, he's he's certainly um, really good for, um, you know, the being for Tassie, but then he got obviously the ankle injury and then he took a bit to come back. He had two best on ground performances for the Allies and then um, the other one at uh, GMHBA, he was a little quieter there, but um, he he bounded up because of those couple of best on grounds early in the champs and um, he's someone who uses the ball really well and I expect him to continue that in the NAB League. He's got a few more weeks now to really consolidate himself there and, and, and show off as a really top prospect, which will be terrific. Brody Kemp from the Bendigo Pioneers, similar uh, vein, if you like, to Mitch O'Neill, although he hasn't had the, the injury issues, but he's been able to climb up after some great form in the last month, particularly in the championships. Yeah, he look, he, he won the match for him, effectively kicking the goal um, with the last kick of the game at GMHBA. So he won it for Vic Country there. And he's just been a really, uh, I guess, towering mark uh, inside 50 once he got there. He played defence early on, then midfield and then attack. And um, he can play anywhere. And that's what makes him so versatile. He's a good size at 192. Um, you know, he, he can burst away and, and he, he's courageous. And I, I dare say come next month, he could be even higher. So he's certainly someone that a lot of clubs do rate. And I think that, yeah, he's certainly locking himself into that sort of top 10 bracket. Jackson Meads has climbed up to number 12 in the power rankings, the July edition, which you can check out at afl.draftcentral.com.au. He is, of course, the son of Darren Mead. Mm. Port Adelaide Elk, uh, why why have you promoted him up? He's probably been their most consistent player, apart from Harry Schoenberg. Um, he's been one of their most consistent players across the board. They've had players that have been best on each game uh, for South Australia, but he's sort of been, say, second, third or fourth um, best across the carnival. So he's just he's winning the ball, he's using it well, he's able to get forward and, and kick goals. Um, he kicked a couple of goals in the final quarter for South Australia to almost get him over the line. Um, against uh, Vic Country. So uh, he, he's been really consistent. And I think that he's a player that clubs will certainly look at to bid and Port have the first choice in that. And they're probably hoping it comes after their first round selection. But uh, if he keeps it up, it probably won't. But um, he's probably in that bracket for that top 20 bracket. Probably won't be in that um, top five or six, but he's certainly in that next group of players that are coming along. Just having a look a little further down the list with some of the names that are actually in the rankings list. They've been names that we were on the fringe in the last couple of months but have made their way into the rankings for July. Cody Waitman coming in at number 20 uh, from the Dandenong Stingrays. Liam Henry from Claremont in Western Australia comes in at 21. Jack Marnie from the Sandringham Dragons comes in at 22. And a little further down the list, but a player that we're keen to see uh, continue to improve and develop, Finn McGuinness, also from the Sandringham Dragons. Yeah, there's quite a few, obviously, extending out to 30 now from the 25. Uh, all those boys have had really consistent carnivals, which is where you really start to um, work out your rankings uh, from the championships. And obviously, there was the last games uh, to consider for next month, but... 
those boys, along with Will Day and Fisher McCasey, who's been the biggest sort of uh, bolter of the lot, I think, um, who won the Vic Metro MVP, he uh, he moved into 16, and he's one that could be a top 10 pick potentially come year's end uh, and, and a key defensive option. Um, so he has played forward, but he's certainly more settled uh, in defence. Um, but there's a lot of players now that are starting to take their position, and I think from here on there, there might be a little bit of movement, but champs, particularly this month and next month, they're the two months that you see heaps of movement happening because of players playing against the top talent. Once they go back to their NAB League and Sandville and all that, the next time you sort of see it move is probably October because that's when all the finals have been played and that's the biggest thing. And then from October to November, there's not really much movement between them. Uh, it's mostly just if, say, players, you, you know, might have impressed in if there's an All-Stars game, for example, or something along those lines. Um, or for the November rankings, you've obviously then got the... Uh, the ones who have performed at the testing days and, and things like that. So then you sort of think about it from a testing point of view. If players impressed more than what others might have thought, then they might go up a bit. But realistically, um, there's little things along the way that change them. But once you hit um, August, that's where you've got your basic kind of thing. And then it's just finals and testing. And then that's, well, then you're at the draft after that. So... So in other words, you, you go into autopilot mm. for the next couple of months, go on holidays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just a little whack there. Dylan Williams uh, and Cameron Tahini are a couple of players that have dropped down the order this month. They've dropped fourth spots, mm. both each. Is that more of a case of the players that were coming up the, the order have performed stronger or that they've dropped off the pace? Um, oh, look, they probably haven't had the consistent carnivals they would have liked. Uh, we rated them as potential, um, I guess, top 10 picks, but obviously they've both had their injury slash form concerns over the journey. And I think they'll certainly be better for the run and they're, they're finals types players that could really stand up. Um, but on form and based on realistically others who have jumped ahead of them, uh, consistency and, and whatnot, that they're just the ones someone has to drop down and, and they've probably been the... Uh, least consistent in terms of, I guess, impact over the champs. Now, I must admit that this is the July rankings, but I'm going to anticipate that come the August rankings, Devin Robertson from Western Australia is going to feature a little higher up the order, not currently ranked uh, inside the 30, but I'm guessing that he's going to move up pretty quickly. Yeah, look, he's a player that I like. I, I anticipate is probably in that second round bracket. He's someone who was injured a bit last year and and whatnot, and obviously won MVP, and he's a uh, he's a ball winner. Um, not too dissimilar to James Rowbottom last year. He doesn't quite have the athletic traits that uh, Rowbottom have, but he's got a, a huge tank and, and can find plenty of the ball. He's a clearance machine. Um, he's probably that inside midfielder that um, we see can drop down the order sometimes. We saw Valenti drop down. We saw um, James Warpel drop down. Um, he, he's a good decision maker. It's just he's kicking under pressure that probably needs to develop a bit more. But he's certainly in that sort of second round, maybe that later second round at the moment. And um, yeah, if he can put together a consistent season for the rest of the uh, the year, then certainly he'll be uh, in a lot of clubs looking for that inside midfielder uh, come into consideration. They're the July power rankings available at afl.draftcentral.com.au and we wait another four weeks before we can interrogate Pete Williams again with his list. Do we stay at 30 or are we continuing to expand it out next month? Uh, it stays at 30, I think, till probably 
um, November. Usually November is a big, big jump, but sometimes, yeah. Sometimes we extend it in October. The next few months we usually keep it about 30 because that's about right because there isn't too much movement outside of that. Looking forward to seeing it. And again, you can head to afl.draftcentral.com.au to find the July power rankings of the best prospects coming through the under-18s system. Coming up after the break, we're going to take a look at NAB League action for round 13 in the boys' competition here on the Final Siren podcast, thanks to Draft Central. You're listening to the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central. Head to afl.draftcentral.com.au to preview a big weekend of round 13 action in the NAB League Boys competition. We should start to see some players that have been involved in representative duties over the last couple of weeks or months to start filtering back into the NAB League Boys, which creates a, a fascinating battle on uh, the weekend. Saturday, 2 o'clock, Normans Oval. The Eastern Rangers heading up there to take on the Murray Bush Rangers. Metro didn't play on Wednesday night, which means that we might see a couple of the Rangers' talent return, um, just depending on how they've obviously pulled up after the championships. For the Murray Bush Rangers, though, they're probably still going to be missing some of their key players. Yeah, like obviously Lachlan Ash and... Uh Cam Wilde, Elijah Hollands all played Wednesday night, so they're probably not going to be there. But um, I mean, if you look around, they've still they've shown that they're able to um, get the wins on the board. Now they're starting to tick them over. My biggest concern with uh, Murray for this week is they've got to learn how to kick straight because right now they've kicked I think it's twenty behinds and twenty two behinds in consecutive weeks, and they could have been massive wins and their percentage could be through the roof. And the bigger concern is the fact that. They're now playing Eastern, who the teams that they beat weren't able to capitalise on them, uh, missing a lot of chances. If you do that against Eastern, I have a feeling Eastern might really hurt you going the other way. So I really think that this is a game where they've got to just make the most of their opportunities. I think they are. They're they're an outside chance being at home, and depending on which Eastern team lines up in terms of their quality. Um, but I do think that it's going to be a really tough game based on the season because Rangers just haven't really played a bad game at all. Even the ones they've lost haven't been bad. Um, so I just think the consistency of the Rangers will be a bit too much. But the Bush Rangers, you just feel that they're sniffing around the area and they're starting to get their flow together. Um, but they've just got to make the most of their opportunities. So I do think Eastern will win and it'll probably be fairly comfortable. Might be, say, four or five goals, but... Um, I do think the Bush Rangers are starting to work into it. So if they can um, make the most of their opportunities and um, play to their best ability, then they're, they're a chance. But I do think Eastern will just be too good. Bush Rangers have won their last three matches to sit ninth on the ladder. Rangers, as Pete mentioned, have had a very solid season, only dropping the two games so far. And I don't think they're going to drop this one. I think there's a reason why they currently sit up the top of the ladder. Um, And as we've mentioned numerous times, it's because they're an incredibly well-structured side of the competition. The other game that is a little interesting in this round 13 that we want to take a look at is the Calder Cannons going up against the Dandenong Stingrays. This match to be played out at Rams Arena, 2.15 on Saturday, July the 6th. 
Stingrays, as we mentioned a little earlier in the podcast, they've dropped down in the last couple of weeks. They've lost their last three matches. They currently sit sixth on the ladder. Colder Cannons, they've had a hit-and-miss sort of season, but you you feel their consistency is starting Mm. to level out. Yeah, I think Colder will have the the uh, advantage in this game, especially if their Metro players are back because Danny Nong will still be missing their country contingent. So um, we saw them struggle against the Rebels uh, without them. And I think the Cannons, especially if they go back to being full strength, Daniel Mott, Brody Newman, depending on how they line up, um, if those boys come back, then um, I think the Cannons deserve to be fairly strong favourites in this one and certainly at home. And uh, I, I think that um, if the Singrays get back to their, uh, I guess, structured game style in the sense that it doesn't matter who's out there, then that I think they're a huge chance. Um, maybe they'll click because they're younger brigades getting used to playing together, but certainly the way the cannons are going, I'd be tipping them fairly uh, comfortably. Yeah, I seem to agree. Not often we agree uh, here on the podcast, Pete, but I, I think you, you might be right with the Cola Cannons just being a little more stable as well, uh, given they don't have as many players that have been in and out of the side, the Stingrays suffering over the last month with the, the representative duties. The Colter Cannons should get it done in my eyes. The other games for the round 13 this weekend on Saturday, the 6th of July, we have the Western Jets hosting the Sandringham Dragons, 11am at Downer Oval. Uh, we then head to Morwell for the Gippsland Power taking on the Northern Knights, that game at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, down in Tassie on Sunday, uh, we have the Devils who are, as the uh, technology freezes on me, uh, Devils hosting the Bendigo Pioneers at Twin Oval Kingston down in Tassie. And the final game of the round at Avalon Airport Oval sees the Geelong Falcons, who, as Pete alluded to, might be up and about Mm. after the weekend's result, taking on the Oakley Chargers. That game, 11.30am on Sunday, the 7th of July. That's the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast, done and dusted for this week. Head to afl.draftcentral.com.au for a full preview of the weekend's action and also for the scouting notes come early next week. Yeah, and of course, uh, no uh, podcast next week. We're going to take a break. We'll be up in Queensland for the Under-16 Championships. So uh, we'll be back uh, the weekend after to cover both that round and, of course, the standalone game between Eastern and Tassie in round 13. Yeah, we will indeed. Thank you very much to the Chief Editor of Draft Central, Pete Williams, joining myself, Matthew Cox, here in the studio. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for the NAB League Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast, thanks to Draft Central. Draft Central.